Welcome to the Wealth Experience podcast series where our subject matter experts provide the latest updates on what's happening in the world around us. Brought to you by BMO Private Wealth. Hello, everybody. My name is Sylvain Brisebois, and I'm a senior vice president, a national sales manager with BMO Private Wealth. Today, I'm here with Robert Kavsik, director, senior economist for BMO Capital Markets. And Robert's area of expertise is analyzing regional economic, fiscal, and real estate trends in Canada. He's also a regular commentator on economic and financial trends to the media. Thank you for being with us today, Robert, and I'm going to get right to our topic. Real estate seems to be on everybody's mind uh, these days, justifiably so. Primary residences, secondary properties, commercial real estate, and of course, mortgage interest rates. And so tell us, uh, as we uh, start the conversation, what's happening in your mind in the housing market right now amid COVID, and how does it look different than, quote, or unquote, a, a typical recession? Well, thanks a lot for having me on, first of all. I think you're right. This is very topical right now. And we are seeing some some pretty unique trends in the real estate market right now. So, I mean, first and foremost, how does this look different? I think uh, what we've seen in this shock so far is, is very unique in that we have seen, yes, we've seen sales come down pretty sharply across most of the country. So if you look across uh, the major markets, Vancouver's down about 40% from last year. Toronto, Montreal, down about 60% or so, um, which you would typically see in a downturn. But what's unique this time around is that we've seen a pretty similar decline in, in the listings and, and supply. So unlike a typical downturn, because both demand and supply have really come off, just given the nature of the restrictions and the lockdowns and just the inability of people to go out there and, and list properties, we're not seeing prices come down really much at all across the major markets. And the other unique factor is that a lot of the policy measures that we've seen at the federal level, uh, be it the wage subsidy or the CERB, those measures have been very quick, very aggressive, and they've really been designed to keep businesses and households liquid through the downturn and, and solvent through the downturn. So we're not seeing the kind of forced selling that you would typically see as we as we enter a recession like like we would have seen during past cycles. So those factors combined have kind of kept supply off the market and held prices in check. And that's very unique. Typically at this stage of the cycle uh, with the economy, you know, entering a downturn, you would see supply kind of forced onto the market as demand is collapsing and you'd see prices coming down. But we're not seeing that at all yet. So the question is going to be what happens when the market opens back up? Is there going to be enough pent-up demand to, to absorb any supply that comes on the market once the restrictions are eased? And I think across a lot of the segments of real estate, that probably will be the case. Obviously, there will be some areas that will be a little bit more challenged, and, and we can get into that a bit later on, I think. Okay, understood. And can you speak a little bit about what this would mean for the prices as it evolves over the next uh, 6 and 12, maybe 18 months here? Yeah, sure. So in the immediate term, like as I was saying, we're not seeing really any impact on prices at all because demand is down, supply is pretty well non-existent. So the market is effectively like frozen itself in time. So we're not seeing prices move that much. Over time, I would suspect that we are going to see some softness overall just because this was a pretty massive economic shock that we've dealt with. So, I mean, nationally, we're probably looking at a, at a mid to high single digit decline in, in prices through the trough of the downturn, um, which historically isn't really all that bad considering what we've seen uh, in past recessions, be it 
the financial crisis or, or you know, the early 1990s across southwestern Ontario. But the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that, is that there are going to be pockets of the market where, where you might not see much price decline at all. So like the mid to high end of, of, of the market in the major centers that are, you know, typical single attached homes might not budge at all because those properties, even entering the downturn, were so scarcely supplied that there probably is enough demand there uh, to, to keep prices in check. You know, and then the flip side is that as you kind of go down towards the lower end of the market where most of the job losses have been concentrated in the lower uh, the lower income range, you might see a little bit more of a follow there, uh, maybe in the condo space too, for example, where where we don't have nearly the same kind of supply constraints as in as in single detached housing. You might see a little bit more of a persistent impact there and, and a little bit of a, a deeper impact on prices as the lockdowns come off. So it's not a you know it's not a one size fits all answer, but it, it will kind of vary across the country and across segments a little bit. Okay, very good. Thank you for that uh, for that insight. Now CMHC, which is the authority on mortgages and perhaps a source of information for many people, are calling for a drop of a nine to eighteen percent in prices. Can you comment on their statement? This one was a little bit controversial, and I, and I know. I mean, the media jumped on it pretty quickly, obviously, because it's a pretty bold statement. And, you know, I know uh, we heard from a lot of people in the real estate industry that were a little bit spooked by it when you have, you know, the national housing body coming out and, 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 and publishing what sounds like a pretty negative forecast on the surface. And so, I mean, first of all, I would say we're not nearly as bearish as that CMHC forecast would suggest. So I, I mentioned earlier a, a modest, you know, mid-single decline in home prices nationally in Canada. That right off the top is quite a bit less bearish than, than that CMHC forecast. The other thing that I would keep in mind here, and this is a little bit of a, a technicality, but for, for the listeners out there, when CMHC is publishing a forecast like this, they're looking at average transaction price, right? And typically what happens is that that measure becomes a little bit biased when you have big swings in sales activity. So if sales in a very expensive market like a Vancouver and Toronto fall very quickly, just by nature, because you're transacting fewer expensive homes, the average for Canada overall is going to fall pretty quickly, even if no individual home price actually declines in value, right? Just the arithmetic behind the sales mix is going to pull the average price down. And in and, and, and hearing some of CMHC's talk on this and, 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 and in the response to some of our questions, they are, in fact, forecasting uh, that average price level. And underneath that forecast is a bigger hit in some of the major markets. So arithmetically, that's pulling prices down more than would realistically be the case when you're looking across individual properties. So when you keep those factors in mind, I think the the reality is that the decline is not going to be nearly as negative as that headline would suggest. The other piece to this is that the underlying economic forecast in that scenario is quite a bit more negative than ours. We've consistently been, I don't want to say most optimistic on the street because we are looking for a 6% decline in, in growth in Canada, which is historically negative for 2020. But on the spectrum, we've been the least negative on the street for some time. And the more and more data that we're seeing through April and May uh, and presumably into June, um, I think the more and more clear it's becoming that the economy is in fact opening up and that the consensus over the last two months or so on the underlying economy has been quite a bit far to the negative side of the spectrum, and I think that consensus is going to converge back towards us. And as that happens, I think realistically, the the assumptions for for the decline that we're going to see in home prices are going to become more and more moderate across across the street. Okay.
Okay, very good. I'm going to ask about regions in a moment, but before we speak about regions, I want to finish a thought on pricing and, and demand. You've talked about this. So speak a little bit about rental properties and cottages, secondary homes. Can you enlighten us on demand and financing, for example? Sure. So that's that's a pretty big topic. I guess I guess on the vacation front, first of all, one of the one of the things we thought right out of the gate when this pandemic broke open was how this is going to shift demand around longer term. And one of the really early conclusions we made was that this pandemic is going to just accelerate a lot of the trends that were already taking shape gradually over the course of time. So this transition towards, say, remote working, for example, this was something that was happening very gradually, but we figured was ultimately going to be an end game for, for the economy and for a lot of businesses. And the pandemic took that and brought it forward into the space of a few months. And so from a real estate perspective, one of our first thoughts on this was, well, if we have such an affordability problem in the core markets like the Toronto's, Vancouver's, and, and, and the core of Montreal, this shift towards remote working provides a relief valve for that affordability and allows people to work outside of the core. So if you're looking at markets that are more rural in nature, say like outside of the GTA, um, more in towards cottage country and areas like that, then yeah, I, I think there's a case to be made for demand for those areas to actually pick up as a result of this pandemic. And we probably could see some migration out of the core of the big cities across Canada into those areas just for a change in lifestyle or just from an affordability perspective because the ability to work is now going to be there for a lot of people. I was just going to say that's an interesting segue because you, you speak about moving out of the core. I was going to add about, ask about regions. Will, will, others, will some regions be affected more than others and rebound faster? I think so. So I think when we were coming into this pandemic, if you look at what was happening across the economy, I think, I think fundamentally a lot of the strengths and weaknesses from a regional perspective still stand. So Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, those were really the strongest economies in Canada and the strongest housing markets in Canada, especially Toronto and Montreal. I think that still stands post-pandemic. And then on the weaker side of the spectrum, if you look at the oil-producing provinces, those were markets that were a little bit sluggish coming into the downturn. I think we have seen oil prices come back uh, off of the off of the pandemic lows, which is positive, but we're still at levels that are is not really going to support a lot of you know above potential economic growth in those parts of the country. So if you think of the Calgarys, the Edmontons, uh, the Reginas, those are markets that are probably going to still struggle and not not come back nearly as quickly as as you know the core markets in Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal. Okay, understood. Now shifting gears a little bit again, REITs uh, they own big office towers, which are impacted by commercial real estate, what's happening there? Will this sector see a more dramatic impact? Uh, we've talked about people mobilizing uh, their work from home, and there's a lot of question marks around that sector. So any thoughts on, on the REITs and, and the big office buildings? So we've kind of been dampening down the negativity on the residential side. I think if there is an area where the fallout is going to be more significant, it's going to be on the commercial side, with the caveat that obviously not all sectors of commercial real estate are, are created equal, right? So um, you mentioned the REITs and the big towers. I think that's one area where you're going to see quite a bit more vacancy and quite a bit of, of downward pressure on rents just because, I, you know, if you look at the core markets, uh, the core downtown segments, I think, you know, a lot of the financial sector is, is probably not going to come back on a permanent basis. Uh, a lot of the tech companies like, you know, just picking headlines, Shopify, for example, is going pretty much 100% online and out of 
office space, and I think they were taking up quite a bit of space in Ottawa, as, as an example. So from a big REIT perspective, I think that office segment is going to be challenged going forward, yes. The flip side of that is, speaking on a large scale is still here, is that if you look at uh, industrial, uh, that's probably a segment that actually starts to see more absorption, just given the shift in shopping habits across the Canadian consumer, right? So obviously less foot traffic in, in malls and less traffic in storefront, but a lot more online shopping. So if you think of transportation, warehousing, logistics, uh, all of that bodes well for the industrial space. The retail space, obviously, the flip side of that is, is probably going to probably gonna see cap rates continue to widen out versus the other sectors, as we have already been seeing. So back to that theme of, of the pandemic speeding up a lot of these trends that we're seeing. One of those trends in the commercial space was cap rates in retail slowly rising relative to cap rates in, say, industrial and an and apartment. And I think this pandemic pulls that longer-term trend forward into a very short period of time, and we're going to continue to see that. The other thing, too, is that, you know, this isn't, when we talk commercial real estate, this isn't just big REITs, right? A lot of commercial real estate out there is is, is either family-owned or, or individually owned by investors with, you know, one or two properties, be it, you know, a Main Street commercial property, which I think is probably going to be under a little bit more stress going forward. Think of, you know, restaurant spaces or, or storefront retail that are going to take a lot more time to come back online. And it's going to take a lot more time to recreate those businesses. Multifamily residential, for example, too. So owners out there with, you know, a duplex or a triplex, and there are a lot of families that have buildings like that on the side. I think one area where the market might struggle a little bit is in the rental segment. And I say that because when you look across where the employment declines have been through the first two months of the pandemic, the mid to upper range of the income spectrum, think, you know, finance, professional services and, and sectors like that have actually been pretty solid. But the vast majority of the declines have been in areas like, you know, accommodation, food services, retail, areas like that that are typically lower income and probably typically more made up by renters versus owners. So we have a lot of support programs federally that are that are keeping tenants in place right now. But I think as we go forward, there probably be a little bit more stress on rent. And that's going to be a pretty significant shift in the major markets where we were seeing, you know, 1% vacancies or less across, you know, Toronto and Vancouver and, and very strong rent growth well above inflation. I don't think we're necessarily going to go back to that world very quickly. And then the last piece on this that had been keeping vacancies low and, and keeping rent growth very strong was was immigration. And, and this is a real question mark whether or not we can go back to the levels of immigration and especially you know, non-permanent resident immigration that were really big drivers of rental demand across the major cities. And, and, and I suspect we're going to go part of the way back, but we might not go all the way back to the immigration levels we were seeing pre-pandemic. And, and that's just going to they're not not necessarily collapse that that segment of the market, but it's it's certainly gonna make it look a lot less tight than it was pre-COVID, and, and probably it's gonna put some upward pressure on those cap rates coming off very historically low levels. Very good. Well, thank you so much. That's really important information. I think everybody will appreciate that comment. But I will say, the million-dollar question that everybody's got on their mind is what to expect from mortgage interest rates. And so, can you give us? put you under the gun here, but give us some thoughts on, on mortgage interest rates going forward. Enlighten us on that subject. Uh, sure. So I, I think this is a this can be a very short answer. So we're not re- expecting really anything at all going forward, at least through 2021. So from the Bank of Canada's perspective, I mean, I think they're they're pretty clearly on, 
on hold for an extended period of time. So officially, our forecast would have would have rates holding at current levels right through the end of 2021, and maybe by 2022 we start talking about we start the conversation about maybe some rate hikes. But that's you know that's still at least um, a year and a half, almost two years off from this point. So from that perspective, variable rates are probably not going anywhere. Out the yield curve, five-year fixed rates have, have obviously come down quite a bit, and we're seeing some pretty low rates out there in the 2 to 2.5% range right now, I think, if you look hard. That's probably one area where we will start to see mortgage rates back up a little bit by the time we get into you know, the fall and then into 2021. Um, the longer end of the yield curve is, is probably going to back up, and, and that curve is going to steepen. So you could see mortgage rates out in the five-year fixed area start to nudge up a little bit later in the year and in 2021. But by and large, we're talking about pretty pretty incremental moves off of off of current levels, even in the five-year fixed space. So the short answer here is that, and honestly, this is a theme that we've been talking about for years, even pre-COVID, is that we are in a low for long interest rate environment. Investors and, and home buyers need to adjust their calculus for the reality that what we were used to pre-financial crisis is not a world we're going back to. And now it looks like even post-COVID, we're, we're probably not going to go back to the kind of interest rate world that we saw even through you know, 2014, 2015 into 2019. Neutral interest rates have just come down, and, and that's just the reality of where we are today, low for long interest rates. Low for long. Well, I can hear the, the size of relief as we speak about this. Well, Robert, thank you so much. This has been very useful. We're so fortunate to have partners like you at BMO, and I've got no doubt that we'll be relying on your insights again as we manage through this continued uh, slowdown or recession. Thank you again uh, very much. For our clients listening today, uh, we're always sourcing content that will broaden your perspective and answer some of your questions. We hope that you found, again, today's topic uh, to be just uh, that. Thank you for your trust in us, and please keep us uh, in touch with our advisors and, and your advisors, your wealth professionals. Above all, stay well, be safe, and take good care of yourselves. Again, thank you for listening. Thank you, Robert, for your insights, and have a wonderful day. This podcast series has been brought to you by BMO Private Wealth. Please join us again.